I, I love the fact that the Compass Church worships simultaneously at four different campuses. How fun is that? Uh, I love being with all of you at Hobson, everybody at Wheaton, all at our Bolingbrook campus, everybody at 95th. And I welcome you back to the series called Parable. Do you remember? We're studying these transformational stories that Jesus told. All the ones we're looking at have the objective of introducing us to grace. Grace, this profound concept capable of transforming our relationship with God, our view of ourselves, how we connect with others. And it's that connecting with others that we're focusing on again this week as we talk about forgiving by grace, forgiving others through grace. You know, it's spring break uh, weekend for my children. Uh, Maybe your family's enjoying spring break as well. And being spring break, I I, I thought about an adventure I had long ago on spring break. It was actually during college. I had a roommate who lived in Florida, and he said, hey, let's go down to Florida. We did. We drove down, and we spent some days with his dad, and then other days exploring other parts of Florida. But when we arrived at his dad's house for the first time, he said, well, my dad's not home yet from work, but he should be soon. I can't wait to introduce you, Jeff, to my dad. He said, but let me show you the house. So he kind of gave me a little quick tour of the house. And then he went to the washroom and left me unattended in his house, which was a mistake. I, I have this boundless curiosity that gets me into trouble. And that's what happened here. I just started wandering around this house, looking around. And then I saw this, this ceiling fan that just caught my attention. It was big It was beautiful, and it had two pull cords. And I don't know, you know, if if you can avoid touching a pull cord. I can't. As as I looked at the pull cords, they were just shouting, pull me, you know. And I'm like, oh, I wonder what this one does. And gave it a yank. Sure enough, the fan started to turn. And I go, oh, now I know what it does. I, I wonder, though, if I pulled it a second time, if it would turn off. I tried it. No, this made it go faster. Oh my, ooh, I like this multi-speed. Can it go faster? Faster? I got that fan humming faster than any fan I had ever seen. It was, the thing was just vibrating and it's like a hurricane. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. And then I looked at the other side. I go, I wonder what that one does. And I needed to know, you know? And so I reached up with no knowledge and pulled it. That was a mistake. That was a mistake because as it turned out, that fan, this fan had a reverse function to make it turn the other way, all right? Uh, And when I pulled that reverse function, when it was going full speed the other way, the engine just locked up. And when the engine locked up, the momentum of the spinning blades started unscrewing the whole fan from the ceiling. I'm looking and watching these things spin around. I'm like, oh, that's not good. No, that's not good. I kind of backed up, and the next thing I know, kaboom, the whole fan crashed. Pieces of fan flying everywhere. I'm like, oops, you know. My buddy comes out of the washroom. He's like, what did you do? I'm sorry, man. I just, you know, I wanted to see, and I pulled, and I pulled, and I felt terrible. And he tried to calm me down. He said, Jeff, don't worry about it. My dad will be home in, you know, half an hour here. And I'm like, oh, man. 
I go, tell me about your dad. Did he love this fan? He's like, I don't really know. And I'm like, is he going to kill me? No, he won't kill you. And yeah, he was having fun with me. And he saw how distraught I was and nervous about meeting his father. And he actually suggested, he goes, you know, Jeff, we could just tell my dad that when we arrived, we found the fan laying there on the ground. I'm like, no, we can't lie. And he's like, well, he goes, I could take it. He goes, well, he won't kill me. I'm his son. He goes, I could say I did it. I did consider that option for a moment, but I finally said, no, I just got to own this. No, I'm not going to ask you to take the blame here. And so I knew it was going to be a very awkward introduction to meeting his dad. His dad came in and said, Jeff, and I'm like, hi, hi, nice to meet you. I broke your fan. I'm so sorry. I, I shouldn't have, but I did. I pulled and the whole thing, boom. And I said, you know, I got some money and I'll give you what I got. Uh, let's find out what it costs. I am committed to paying for a new fan and... And I just was just graveling. And he grabbed my shoulders. I'll never forget this. And he goes, nice to meet you, Jeff Griffin. And I'm like, oh, yeah, nice to meet you. I'm so sorry. He's like, stop it. He's like, Jeff, you're forgiven. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Don't give it another thought. I'm like, how can I? I mean, that's a nice fan. And He's like, come on, dude. He goes, I I wasn't sure whether I liked that fan or not. Now I'm convinced I don't. I'm going to get myself a new fan. I'm not taking a dollar from you. He says, forget it. It's spring break. Let's have fun. Let's eat dinner together. And his forgiving response to me, I can remember like it was yesterday. I mean, I think he was smiling as he saw the relief on my face as like a hundred pounds lifted off my shoulders as, as I enjoyed his forgiveness. He enjoyed giving forgiveness. I enjoyed receiving it. I think the Lord enjoyed watching it. Forgiveness, one given. It's a win-win, beautiful dynamic. And we, as Christians, need to be masters at giving forgiveness And the key to being a master at giving forgiveness can be found in this parable Jesus is going to share with us. It's called the parable of the unforgiving servant. And it's found in Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 23. You ready? There we go. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, there was a man who owed him What? 10,000 bags of gold. Uh, Friends, that is just an insurmountable, incalculable value of money. A man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought in. And since he was not able to pay, of course not, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees. Friends, he does something crazy, and he just he begs. I guess he's got options, right? I mean, it's so much money. Uh, what is he going to do? At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master, catch this, took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Astounding. But the story doesn't end there. But when the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who happened to owe him 
100 silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me. Now, now he's getting begged in the same way he had just begged the king. Be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. And they went and they told the master, the king, everything that had happened. The master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all of that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And Jesus adds, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. This parable illustrates the irony of unforgiving Christians. I mean, that just doesn't even make sense. The very nature of being a Christian is like the king in the story. We have been forgiven so much. Friends, think about it. We had a load of debt on our shoulders that was insurmountable. We have sinned and done so many things God said not to. We can't even remember them all. We have failed to do what God said to do so many times we can't even recall it all. I mean, this was enough to secure us a place in hell for all eternity. And to that situation came the grace of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I'll die on the cross for you. I'll pay the death penalty for you. And as a result, we find through faith in Christ, our slate wiped clean. Suddenly we're standing tall going, I'm guiltless. All of my sin has been washed away. I have been adopted into God's family. He wants me to call him dad. I'm reconciled to him. I am promised an eternity in heaven. I mean, we are the recipients of the most outrageous forgiveness imaginable. And that we would turn to others who have sinned against us in relatively small ways and say, I won't forgive you. It just doesn't even make sense. I think the problem, and maybe you would agree, I think the problem is we're no longer emotionally connected to the forgiveness we've received. Maybe there's been a lot of time since the day of our conversion when we turned to trust Christ and ask for him to forgive. And back then we felt the joy of that salvation, but it's been so long and now we're just not as soft-hearted as we once were. And the great takeaway of this parable, here we go, here's the takeaway, get connected to the forgiveness you've received, and you'll find the inclination to forgive others. Get connected to it. How can we do that? Well, communion, one of the reasons we take communion is to focus on the cross and and what we've received. More than communion, though, I would challenge you daily. Reflect on that. Just take a moment and say, who would I be without Jesus? Would that be ugly? And who I am, am I? What's my identity in Christ? And this is a forgiving, grace-filled gift. And just be amazed for a moment each day 
of this grace you walk in. And if we can stay connected to that, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can show grace to others. We'll be like, I can't believe who I am. You know, I really am, but God has made me clean. And you want forgiveness? Sure. The softness of our heart leading to grace is because we're so connected to the forgiveness we've received. So that's the key to demonstrating forgiveness, but that's not all to the study of forgiveness. In fact, I'd like to dive deeper in our study of forgiveness by turning to the context of this parable. You know, I've mentioned this, I think, every week, and that is that we should look at the context. When did Jesus tell this story? What was going on or what was being discussed that led to Christ saying, now I got a story for you? And so let's do that. Let's back up a few verses and find what was being discussed that led to this parable. I'm backing up to verse 15. Jesus was teaching, and Jesus says, If your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won your brother. You've won them over. But if they will not listen... Take along one or two other Christian friends to help try it again. And then he goes on to say, and then even get the church involved. Get officials from the church to help you. What is being described here? It's, it's the awkward but important dynamic called confrontation or in other places, rebuke. That is when someone has done something horrible against you and you bring it to their attention hoping that it will lead to repentance for them to say, you know what, you're right. That was awful. I'm sorry. Are you good at rebuke? Some of you are like, yeah, I love rebuking people. <laughs> no, that's not what I mean. Are you good at it? If you're good at it, it's not that you tell everybody what a jerk they are. If you're good at it, you're able to do it with love, with sensitivity, uh, increasing the likelihood that they will respond to the rebuke well. To do it with sensitivity might look like this. You come up to your friend and you say, hey, can we talk? You know how much I love you and how much I value our friendship. And I think it's because I value this friendship so much, I want to talk about something. Yesterday, you said something, and I'm sure you had no intent for what you said to hurt me. But it ended up hurting a bit. And I really want to talk about it, see if we can put this behind us. Do you see that? There, there's giving the benefit of the doubt. There's gentleness. There's love. There's sensitivity. Grow in your capacity to rebuke well. Because rebuke leads to repentance, repentance leads to forgiveness. The beginning of the journey that leads to forgiveness often starts with bringing up a matter like this through rebuke. Now, uh, let's go to the verse 21. We're still in the context, now getting closer to the parable itself. Peter responds to the teaching of Jesus. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77. Christ is saying there's not a limit to our grace. It's not like we say, okay, well, you've, you've messed up too many times and I will not forgive you now. Uh, this challenge to be continuing to give forgiveness to repeat offenders, and this use of seven times that links this teaching to a parallel teaching on 
forgiveness in Luke. And I'd like to follow that parallel to Luke 17, verse 4. Look at the seven times comes up again. Here Jesus is teaching, he says, even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. You see that journey of them saying, I repent, and the response to repentance being forgiveness. I love this verse, but I love the one ahead of it even more. Verse 3. Let's, let's go to the previous verse. Jesus says, If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. You'll see I've laid out this verse in such a way to highlight these three simple yet profound steps in resolving tension that is clogging a relationship. Uh, Friends, this is priceless stuff. I wonder if you do them all really well. You know, you rebuke, they repent, you forgive. Or they rebuke, you repent, they forgive. You know, I use this so much uh, in marital counseling. I I don't do a lot of marital counseling. I'm terrible at it. I, I tend to ruin marriages more than help them, I think. But the one gem that I have blessed couples with is teaching them this process. I'll say, let's talk about rebuke. I go, you do that a lot. You know what he does? He does this. You know what she does? She does that. I'm like, well, you don't do it well. And so we'll spend some time talking about how to rebuke gently, respectfully, in love. Just as a side note, you don't always have to rebuke. Some are thinking, so every time I see someone sin, I should go rebuke them? No, that would be a disaster. People are sinning all the time, and all you'd ever be doing is rebuking. Most of the time, we forbear. The Bible speaks of forbearance being this patient endurance of someone's sin without addressing it. And so you really got to ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, when am I supposed to forbear, and when do you want me to rebuke? And sometimes it's when their sin hurts bad, and you realize it's hindering this relationship. Or sometimes it's when they're destroying their life and out of love for them. But you got to know when to forbear and when to rebuke, and God's Spirit can help you make that decision. Okay, so after the rebuke, you repent. And when I'm working with uh, married couples, I'll say, so really what, what she just did is rebuke you. Now this is your chance to repent. And, and the husband will sometimes go, all right, fine. I'm sorry. Are you happy? <laughs> I'm not. You know, that was a really poor repentance, you know. Or kids, you know, I'm sorry, you know. Come on. Uh, repentance must be done well. And so let's talk about how it's done well. In fact, I'll give you four points, to, steps to how repentance can be done well. The first of the four is confess. Confess what you did. In fact, I would challenge you just not to say, okay, fine, I'll admit I did it. No, no. Restate what you did. You know, if they're saying you did something, say, you know what, you're right. Yesterday, when I said whatever, that was wrong. To restate it so that they know you heard it, you see it, you own it. Confess is powerful. After confess is apologize. 
An apology is supposed to have remorse in it. In fact, when we apologize, we say, I'm sorry. And the word sorry is connected to sorrow. This is when we express, oh, I feel bad that I hurt you. When our regret, our remorse comes through. And that's why I'm sorry doesn't work. Because there's no sorrow in that sorry. And so when you apologize, you say, now that I see how what I did or what I said broke your heart, I am so sorry I did that. Confess, apologize, turn. Key to understanding repentance is this notion of turning, where you're like, I was living that way. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to live this way. You look at him and you say, I am committed to not treat you that way again. I don't want to do that again. Now, might they fail to carry out that commitment? Yes. Jesus used the example of someone needing to repent seven times in the same day. Sometimes our best intentions we fail to carry out. But repent again and convey that it is my commitment, my intent to stop this way. I, I, I see that that was foolish. And I am committed with God's help to try to live differently. That's the turn. So confess, apologize, turn, and ask. Ask is simply ask for forgiveness. That's when you look them in the eyes and you say, would you forgive me? And when I'm you know, trying to guide couples, I'll show them that, boy, when you do repentance well, it makes forgiveness so much easier. When you repent and you say, I own it, I did it. In fact, let me describe exactly what I did. Let me convey my remorse. I am so sorry that I hurt you in this way. And then you say, I am committed to, with God's help, live differently. And then you turn and say, please forgive me. It's like, yes, I forgive you. Okay, so in fact, let's talk about this third step of forgiveness. Forgiveness is the release, it's the canceling of a debt, honestly. It's this, uh, this you owe me no more. You know, a lot of times, sin and relational conflict is defined in financial terms. Just like in this parable, you know, he owes you a debt. Uh, In the Lord's Prayer, Lord, forgive me my debts as I forgive my debtors. There is a understanding of finances. When someone really hurts you, they owe you. you. You can hold it over their head and say, you did that to me. But when you forgive You forgive the debt, and you say, there is no moral liability between us anymore. It's gone. Just like when I broke the fan, uh, my roommate's dad said, it's gone, Jeff. You owe me nothing. We're good. Oh, that release. It's, It's a forgiveness that cancels debt and restores the relationship. Now, sometimes it's an unhealthy person and you need some boundaries so you can be reconciled to someone and still have some boundaries for your own protection. But the goal is to bring a measure of harmony through that forgiveness. Now, here's what forgiving is not. Forgiving is not uh, the um, removal of pain you can forgive someone and still be hurt by what they did. In fact, you, you may have to say that to them. You say, I, I, you are entirely forgiven. 
I ask for your patience as God heals me and moves me towards wholeness. That may take some time. Forgiveness is not the removal of natural consequences. I forgive you entirely. And yet the law may require that they still bear the consequences of what they've done. Uh, forgiveness is, is not the immediate rebuilding of trust. Even though you want to trust them, trust takes time. And you say, you are entirely forgiven. Please be patient as I strive to re- rebuild trust and you strive to rebuild trust with time. That said, forgiveness as powerful as folks cancel those debts and bring together relationship. All right, well, there's one big word in this verse that I want to allude to, and, and that's the word if, such a small word, and yet it is such a hot topic. And when I say hot topic, I mean Christians debate on this. In fact, I'm moving into territory where good Bible-believing Christians disagree. And you may disagree with the position I hold, and that's okay. I'll forgive you for that. Anyway, so uh, if, if they repent, forgive them. That seems to be conditional saying that if they repent, you should forgive. And so the question begs, what if they don't repent? Do I need to forgive them then? Christians differ as to whether or not you do. Now, hear me. All Christians agree that grace is to be given to the unrepentant offender. A gracious, loving response. The question is, is that forgiveness? And I don't think it is. I think that uh, that gracious response, I'll give it a different name in in a bit. But I think we have to follow God's example. The Bible says, forgive others as God forgives you. And God forgives conditionally. He offers forgiveness to everybody, but he only gives it to those who repent. Isn't that true? I mean, the whole whole world has been offered forgiveness through Christ. Everybody would be saved if that meant everybody got it. The truth is, God says, you must come to the end of yourself, repent of your sin, trust Christ, and then that forgiveness will be realized in your life. And so we are to follow the example of Jesus in that regard. Now, some are saying, are you telling me I don't have to forgive people who don't repent? Beware, or bitterness will destroy your heart. What you do need to do is what I call release and love. Release and love. And I get release and love out of Romans 12. There's a fantastic passage here that I want to turn to now that helps us know what to do when it comes to release and love. This is helpful you know, this tension of whether you forgive the, the unrepentant. I, I felt this when I watched way back when Columbine shooting, that horrible event at that school, and there were students afterwards holding up signs saying, we forgive you and you're forgiven. And I, I applaud the graciousness in these Christian students as they responded. But is that the right term? Are they, to, are they forgiven? They're not, unless they repent of their sin. And as it was, those guys shot themselves in rebellious refusal to repent. So let's take a look at Romans 12, verse 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. 
The goal is peace with everyone. You know, we want to, all the sin that messes up relationships, we want there to be rebuke, repent, forgive, and peace as a result. That's the goal. But the verse is realistic in saying, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, you do your part. But sometimes, you know, it takes two to tango. And sometimes you do your part, but they don't do theirs. You lovingly and gently rebuke. They refuse to repent. What are we going to do? You know, and if this peace cannot be won, uh, there's a way to respond. And that's what the next verse says. What should you do if you can't reach that peace? Verse 19. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I'll repay, declares the Lord. The point here is that bitter people are like, oh, I am so mad at you. I, I, I have a grudge. I have bitterness. I have resentment against you. And God says, no, 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 no. Let go. Let me, the Lord, be the judge. Let me be the one who brings justice in the right way. And so there's this miraculous spirit-empowered release where we just say, you know what, Lord? I'm frustrated that they've sinned and they won't repent, but I give it to you. I release it to you. And uh, I'm trusting you with my bitterness, with you with that person, and you take care of it. If justice must be served, I want no part of it. You bring it about in the right way you see fit. That's the release them to the Lord. But then there's the love them. Look at the next verse, verse 20. On the contrary, if your enemy, and your enemy is someone who sins against you but won't repent, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. This is the love your enemy stuff. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. All right, we got to talk about that. Some of you are like, yeah, I want to heap burning coals on their head. Is what I want to No, that's an idiom. That's an expression in the ancient world that meant conviction. As you kill them with kindness. You know, they know in their heart that they've treated you poorly and you just love on them. That will lead to a conviction that, Lord willing, could lead to repentance eventually. The, the, The verse ends with this. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If you hold on to the bitterness, evil will overcome you. If you release it to the Lord and you say, you are the avenger, Lord, not me. I let go of it. I, in your power, am just going to love them. Some of you are like, wait a minute. Release it to the Lord. Love on them. That's forgiveness. Eh, I understand why there's a therapeutic version of forgiveness that uses that term, but I'm kind of a stickler for the right terms because they're not forgiven until they repent. And I think to proclaim forgiveness over an unforgiven person uh, is problematic. So release it to the Lord and love on them, and it may lead to repentance and forgiveness. That would be my challenge. Friends, if you'd like to study this topic more, there's a great book by Chris Bronze called Unpacking Forgiveness. And and I throw it out there for your consideration. Fantastic treatise on this deep and important topic. 
But when grace is given to repentant offenders and you forgive in grace, or unrepentant forgivers, and you release the justice thing to God and just love on them, it's beautiful. Grace is beautiful and needed in this conflict-infused world. And I read about a pastor who showed it so profoundly. This pastor's name was Eric Uh, Fitzgerald, and uh, Eric preached on forgiveness, but just take it from us. It's easier to preach on it than it is to give it. And the moment came where he needed to give a forgiveness like he had never done so before. Here's what happened. There was a guy named Matt who shouldn't have been driving. He had been up all night. He was too tired, but he got in a car and drove, and he fell asleep at the wheel. And in his sleep, he swerved across the road and ran head on into Eric's wife coming the other way and killed her instantly. Not only did his wife die, but his wife was pregnant with his only son, seven months pregnant, just a few months from delivery, and the son died as well. And Eric found himself dragged into court, and the judge says, this guy unintentionally killed your wife and son. What do you recommend I do as far as sentencing? And he cried out to the judge, show him grace. Be as lenient as possible, as lenient as the law will allow. Rather than me telling you more, how about you hear from them? Eric, you had the opportunity to really say to the judge, you know what, I think this guy deserves some hard time. What did you do? I remember somebody said this in a a sermon. In moments where um, tragedy happens or or even hurt, that there's opportunities to demonstrate grace or to exact vengeance. And I chose to demonstrate grace. The men knew of each other but endured their grief apart until the two-year anniversary of June's death. Matt Swatzel had stopped by the grocery store to buy a condolence card for Eric when he spotted him in the parking lot. Eric starts walking out of the grocery store and starts walking towards my truck. What do you see in the window? He was just, just bawling. Yeah. And um, so I just walked up and I just hugged him. Um, I mean, it, you know, what do you say? You know, some things, sometimes things are best said with no words. That hug must have felt like someone had just put a pin in two years of pressure. That was the, uh, the biggest relief I'd ever felt. He just said from the start that he forgave me. And uh, just hearing him say those words, um, it just impacted my, my life completely. They talked for two hours that day. And where you might imagine the relationship would end. I said, man, I don't know what you're going to say to this. I said, but I just feel like in my spirit that I'm supposed to stay connected to you somehow. And he's like, dude, I, I feel the same way. We knew it was something special. We just had this instant bond. It's unexplainable. It's just easy to talk to each other. Man, look at that deliciousness. We just talk about life, you know, just how we're doing and just moving forward. And he said, look, don't let this define you. Meeting with Eric, it gave me hope that we're going to be okay. Friends, that is a miraculous friendship. Wouldn't you agree? What forgiveness and grace does, it's mind-boggling. That pastor, Eric, 
you would expect him to look at the man who killed his wife and son and say, you are my enemy. But he looks with eyes of love and says, you're my brother. How about we pray? God, I, I verbalize the cry of all at all campuses, my friends, as we pray. We want to be people of forgiveness. God, thank you for forgiving us through the cross of Christ. And please wreck us again with the profoundness of the forgiveness we enjoy. Help us stay so emotionally connected, soft-hearted with that forgiveness that we're able to forgive others. God, I also pray that you'd make us courageous in rebuking, rebuking tenderly and lovingly, but we are cowards at heart and we need your courage to step into those hard conversations. When it comes to repenting, God, help us repent well, thoroughly, with remorse. And God, when it comes to this forgiving step, help us forgive like we never thought we'd be able to, Lord, please. I pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.